Hi sixes, welcome back or welcome if this is your first episode. This interview was so much fun to do. Abby is a longtime client turned dear friend and here we explore some of the cognitive tools that I use with my clients, really some simple ones that you can start applying. I want this podcast to be a blend of theory and also practical stuff that you can actually use in your life. So we get into some cognitive tools and then we end up making a really compelling case for feelings work, which sixes can have a hard time getting into. I left in some of the more candid parts that I would normally edit out, including right from the beginning, because they made me laugh a lot. (laughs) We laugh so much in this episode, and I just wanted to share some more of that laughter with you. Laughter in and of itself is an incredibly useful tool to help us expand our capacity for the things that are really hard that we deal with and the work that is really hard to do as we go on a growth journey. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Is it the intro part? Why don't you just record the intro afterwards? Well, the actual intro I will do afterwards, but I still have to actually welcome you to the show. Oh, okay. Like that's a thing that has to happen. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Welcome. Here we are. Hi, Abby. Hi. We've already been chatting a bit, but let's make it official. Let's start this thing. Okay. So today I have Abby, Lindy. Abby is a six, of course. She's been a client of mine for a while now. Abby, you are a pharmacist turned health coach recently. Mm-hmm. And you're here to talk about some of the practical tools that we do in coaching that you really like and use. And we're just going to have a pretty open, fun conversation about actually doing the work. What else do you want to say about you? Thanks for being here. I'm so excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. I think that's pretty good. I think getting right into the tools would be awesome. Things that I use like literally every day. Okay. I think it should be be said too, like we're both nervous and kind of giddy to be here. (laughs) I get excited when I get to like hang out and talk with you. So my plan is to pretend like this is just we're hanging out. So, Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. So I have a bias toward applying because as sixes, we know we can get real heady about things. And we can literally just stay and live up in our head thinking about doing things. And we can even confuse thinking for doing, right? We can spend tons of time thinking, 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 actually somehow imagining that is doing in the world. So that's something I'm always just kind of onto as sixes. And you are someone who I feel learns, gets coaching, and really applies these tools in your life, which is really cool. Do you see yourself that way? So it's actually really funny to me that that's how you see me because (laughs) I feel like that's a very new uh, thing for me. I mean, I want to give you all the credit for that, but I know. Right. So, but anyways, like within the last couple of years, that's uh, a thing. In fact, I don't think that I even realized like what you said, that knowing is different than doing. Oh my gosh. Like, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> so as a pharmacist, like I'm really good at learning stuff, reading books and articles and blah, 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 all the things. And that doesn't actually mean that I know how to implement and do and practice any of those things. Um, maybe in the pharmacisting world it does, but like when it comes to processing emotions and existing with other people and relationships, knowing actually doesn't really mean anything. (laughs) It, it's so true. And I think it's one of those kind of painful, there's a lot of things when we go on any kind of self-development journey that we come across that can kind of hurt. Right. And, and uh, there's so much security and sixes in our, in, in knowing we think we really believe that knowing uh, or predicting is going to get us security. That's not really accurate. That's part of our (laughs) personality. sort of, um, we could call it a lie of our personality. Whereas we really can develop security by learning to apply skills in our lives. And you know, I believe we can do that. We just can. But even getting to that belief, right? What you're saying, one, uncovering the difference and then actually building a belief that I can apply what I learn, that in itself is some work. Well, what's coming up for me when you say that is knowing something feels really easy and safe for me. Oh, yes. yes, yes, yes. Trying to actually do it and probably sucking at it the first couple of times is really scary. Like that feels very vulnerable and like I'm going to fail and then people are going to have thoughts about me and I don't like that. And then the other thing that you mentioned of like building that belief. That's a thing that I think working with you, I have come to depend on that a lot because if I can just try a thing and do it and see how it goes without a lot of like judgment or expectation about it having to go well the first couple of times, then it goes well. Sometimes I can build the belief that, oh, this is a thing I can do successfully. I can keep doing it now. And I think that is that Building evidence for new beliefs Mm. is a thing that I now do purposely. I think I used to, at first I started doing it accidentally. Yeah. And now Mm. I try to do that on purpose. That makes so much sense that that in and of itself is work. There's so many small pieces of work that, you know, I always say start small because how do we actually change anything? It's like little bits over time. And we hate that. Like everything you described, we really don't like. We want to make big change now because we want to feel better now. And really what quote unquote works is small changes over time, which again, in our minds, we're like, duh. <laughs> but when but it when comes you to s- applying, yeah. When you said that, my brain was like, yeah, but what good does that do? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, even though now I totally yeah. agree with you. And literally when I'm working with clients personally, I do, you know, baby steps. I totally know it in my head. Right. My brain is still like, yeah, but what good is any of those small steps? If you can't do the big sweeping life altering chains, what's the okay. good in it? This brings me to the first actual skill that I actually wasn't planning on talking to you about, but you, you just said something that is so key. You said, my brain says, but you didn't attach to that. You didn't say, because my brain said it, that's the truth. So can you talk through a little bit, your process of learning to see your brain do things and say things and not 
have those be, you know, your, your ability to kind of detach from them. Can you just talk through that process a little bit? Yeah, that is another thing that I learned from you, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> um, how do I do that? So, and were you, so you quote, learn it from me. You didn't used to do that. No. And now you're able to do that. Yeah. Do you remember like when, what it was like? So I don't remember the specific time when that switched. So uh, honestly, I feel like the first step was learning, Mm -hmm. knowing that all of the thoughts that I have in my head are not necessarily my beliefs or values or true. Like just because I have a thought does not mean that it is true. And that in and of itself, learning that I think was kind of revolutionary to me because especially because I have a lot of uh, conflicting thoughts. Yes. Like I'm great and competent and also totally terrible at everything. Like (laughs) simultaneously have those two thoughts. And when you believe that they are both true, that's hard. It's confusing and stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So I think knowing and learning that from you was like the first step. And then I think learning to have some pause, Mm. which then is just like pause and notice. Um, But that I just hope pause and notice. And then I think, cause the language that I use a lot and that we use a lot is, Oh, I noticed my brain just said, which is what you did earlier, right? Like, yo, we're talking about this. My brain just offered something really interesting (laughs) in the midst of this. So pause and then notice, which is quite neutral, right? Noticing is quite neutral. It's just like, Oh, this thing just happened. This thought just appeared. And then what? happens for you then? Well, I often use humor because Mm. I, sometimes that voice is just so outrageous, either because it's so mean or it's so out of touch with reality or (laughs) like, it's just so ridiculous that I, I, I laugh about it. Mm. I don't know if that's like a, you know, defense mechanism, coping strategy, whatever. Um, but I do that a lot. Like, oh, silly brain. Why, why would you think that? That's so silly. Um, another one that you talk about that I sometimes will do is when my brain is being especially critical, I'll do the ouch. Mm. Wow. That's mean. Wow. Yes. Um, do that sometimes. I do think that as I've practiced, I can also just like notice it, let it be there. And not really react to it sometimes, especially when I'm feeling good and like settled and grounded. I can do that easier. Um, Yes, this is all harder when our resources are down for any reason, right? We're genuinely triggered. We are tired. We are doing something new. Like there's so many situations where all these skills get harder to apply. Yes. Right there. Sometimes when it's easier to apply and sometimes when it's harder, which is again, why I always say start small, start like kind of when it's small and easy, which is why in coaching, we so often go to the, you know, everyone says, well, this is stupid or I shouldn't get coached on something so small. And I'm always saying, no, no, these are the best things to get coached on because you're not as activated. And so you actually can access this pause 
Because then what I heard you saying is you get choice. If you can access the pause, you start to get some level of choice in how you relate to what you're seeing in your brain, how maybe you can relate to what you're feeling in your body, all these different things. That's relating to our own thoughts. What about relating to what we think other people are thinking? And I know this is a huge one. This is a huge part of coaching and sort of development as a six, but we spend so much time in other people's brains. Yeah. Uh, Like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Again, a thing that I did not know or realize prior to working with you, I actually had no idea that I was doing this. Do you want to talk about tentacling? Tentacling for me is a concept that was super helpful, especially at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like you should. I'll talk about it. So I literally have a moment, a memory after some really hard things with my husband. And I think I was talking to a friend. Yeah, I was. And she said, it sounds like he wants you to get out of his brain, like to leave him alone. And I was like, what are you talking about? It was so, it was one of those moments. It was so painful because I knew she was right. I heard the truth in it. And and in that moment, I saw how much I, my vision that came was I had these like, you know, octopus tentacles and they were literally stuck in his brain trying to manipulate him in so many ways. And so I have this image literally deciding to like (laughs) unstick my tentacles from his brain pull them back into my body and consider for the first time letting him be his own human, his own adult person with his own thoughts and his own ways of processing things. And it was so profound that, yeah, I used, so I call it tentacling and yeah, take it from there. And that like, so for your example, your husband or my husband uh, might have thoughts about me that aren't good. And I think that for me, at least, trying to control all the situations and the things to make sure that those thoughts don't happen because I think that I have some magical power to do that is the part that, I don't know, was the most impactful, I think, for me. Still totally do it. Of course. (laughs) Especially with people I'm close to. I have been able to remove the tentacles from kind of less... I don't know, important or less close relationships, like work relationships. Mm. Um, It's easier for me to be, to remove the tentacles and let people have thoughts about me. Still don't like it, but. That they may or may not even be having. I mean, what we're pulling out here is how much. But like probably some people have thoughts about me that I would choose not for them to have. Absolutely. (laughs) And (laughs) that was really unbearable at the beginning. Like, yes, just to be able to allow that to exist in the world and think that I had control over that. Say more about how you do that, because I think it is unbearable, right? One, we've got the realization that we're doing it Two, actually starting to do it differently, considering letting people have thoughts about me that I don't approve of. What's the how of that for yeah. you, right? If we get to the practical. Oh, I have one because this happened okay. yesterday with you and me. Okay. okay. So I said a thing and then I worried 
I was like, oh no, Abby's going to think whatever you were going to think. And I had to do the work. I had to orient to, we have a relationship that I can trust because my brain says, if I make a mistake with someone, like that's it. That's the whole, this is sort of my fear, right? Well, that ruins everything. You ruined it all is my brain's favorite thought to just take me out. And so it was one of those, like, oh, you ruined it all. So I saw the thought and I was like, okay, probably that's not true. Like that one, I'm pretty good at just letting go at this point. But, but Abby could think that I crossed a line or I said something I shouldn't have. It's okay if she's thinking that. I'm gonna, that's okay. Because if she did think that, I believe in our relationship and we can repair. So I'm gonna, it just softened the, she might be thinking whatever she's thinking. She's allowed to think that. Um, I asked the question for an example. Did that come out like a good example or was that too gibberishy? <laughs> um, I mean, I totally got that example. Okay. Um, so your how was seeing the thought, being able to trust that even if I do have thoughts about you, that all is not lost, we yeah. can repair. Yeah. Um, you know, I almost think, and I feel like I do that, but mm-hmm. I also feel like I kind of do the opposite. So I'm finding a pattern here. Mm-hmm. I start with knowing that even if I'm trying to tentacle, it doesn't actually work. Well, <laughs> And people could still have thoughts about me, yeah. good or bad. Yeah. Um, and then I can decide, okay, well, how do I want to be here? Mm. How do I want to show up here? Because they're going to have thoughts either way. And when I'm trying to tentacle, I don't usually act how I want to act. I am mm. like, I don't know, frantic and manipulating and yeah. not how I want to be. So I think that for me, it's really, and I actually, I think I've told you this before. I have, sometimes I have to, and I use this more often than other, um, like I go in phases using this tool, I would say, but I have to actually imagine like fence. Ooh. Where like, I have my thoughts and emotions on this side of the fence. And on the other side of the fence, people have their thoughts and emotions and we can influence each other. But like, really, I can't control what's happening on the other side of the fence. Um, And that can sometimes be helpful when I'm having a hard time untentacling. (laughs) That's a really good one. And that one goes both ways because the other thing we do as sixes is we tend to want other people to do things in a certain way so that we can think certain things about them or feel a certain way, right? We go across the fence in both ways. Because we're like, I can control what you think and do, and you control what I think and do. It's your responsibility to make me feel certain ways. Yes. Absolutely. So I like the fence for that reason too. I, my visual is literally like two brains. Like I have a brain and I'm over here doing my whole thing and you have your own (laughs) and you're doing your whole thing over there. So I guess, yeah, for people listening, what is an image that works for you that actually creates separation? Because part of us being an attachment type um, and six is really looking to other people to get our security needs met is there's just a lot of glommy stuff 
which is where tentacling came from, right? As I saw my glominess in my husband's brain. Not that I don't still shove a tentacle out every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, makes me sweat. Okay, that was really useful. Awesome. Pausing. Awesome. <laughs> great. <laughs> we're doing really great, Kristen. Oh my god! I think we're doing great. I mean, I'm not surprised, but yeah. What if this accidentally gets in the podcast cut? That would be really funny. This part here, we're doing such a good job. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Okay. I thought of another tool. Talking well about ourselves on purpose, right? Like the teeny tiny, good job self. Way to go. You did a thing. Can you talk me through that tool? I consider that a tool. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that makes me think how my brain is constantly offering the opposite of that. Like you're not doing good enough. You should be doing more. You should be working harder and this should be easier. You shouldn't have to work so hard. Like all this constant. This should be easier is like the other one that can take me out pretty quick. I've gotten real onto that one. Like, wow. Thanks brain. Thanks for nothing. (laughs) That's offered a lot in my brain as well. Yeah. Okay. So what you said noticing that our automatic brain continues to offer uh non-encouragement we'll say yes to based on zero reality or facts or evidence to the contrary like it just happens no matter what i always like to say reality is of no concern to our brains so mm-hmm. we don't need to get in that battle because it's just not uh yeah they're just not really connected so yes. the brain offers a lot of discouragement for good reason right? It's trying to keep us safe, tucked away, away from all the threats of the world. Like our brains are not doing this for nothing. Yes. They've got, it's a personality structure designed to keep us safe and tucked away. It just doesn't help us be who we want to be in the world. Yes. So knowing our brain automatically does that. Cause I think what happens a lot is people keep waiting for the automatic thoughts to change. And (laughs) That is not (laughs) going to happen. That is not how I teach it. We get still a little mad about that. I know me too. I me too. And sometimes the truth is sometimes it will offer something encouraging. And it's real noticeable when it happens. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah. But we get there by doing things on purpose. I think the other thing that happens is people think, oh, well, I have to then talk about myself like I'm the most amazing. Like we have to go all the way to the other side. So let's talk about how you positively talk to yourself on purpose in a realistic way. So do you mean talking positive or talking neutrally? I was going to actually, yeah, (laughs) take take it. Okay. Yeah. So because I feel like that's another thing that you talk about a lot is, so like parenting, I think is a really good example for this. Um, because I have a lot of negative talk about, you know, you're not a good enough mom. You don't, whatever, you're not present enough with the kids and you don't take them to do stuff and whatever, all of the things, all of the very critical things. And I have the tendency to want to be like, okay, well, I would rather my thoughts are like, I'm a great mom. I'm doing the perfect amount of connecting with them and I'm teaching them everything they need to know. 
and I'm not damaging them and going to make them need therapy. <laughs> like I'm doing so great. And I, it's very useful when you remind me <laughs> that it's actually probably, uh, or at least it's an option to consider things like, this is me being a mom. Mm. I, this is, this is how momming goes. I am doing parenting things like just very neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always is, I guess, surprising to like my nervous system and my body, how those things actually are calming and grounding. Mm. I would think that I'm such a great mom would make me feel calm and grounded. Shockingly, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) And let's hang out there for just a second. Why doesn't it? Because it feels like a lot of pressure. Ooh, that's, yeah. My brain offers a lot of reasons why it's not true. So you get into like an argument with your brain. Yes. I'm a great mom. Well, no, consider this evidence, how you- You were on your phone yesterday. When your kid was talking to you, whatever it was. My kid did an impression of me on my phone the other day. I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. This is good. This is landing really well for me. Um, It was hilarious and accurate. Just want (laughs) to give him credit there. (laughs) But when we go too far, our brains slash bodies let us know because woo, we get into an argument and then we're doing this like back and forth thing. When we can neutralize something, what happens for you? It removes a lot of the pressure to be perfect. I guess the, the, the feeling that I'm often striving for is grounded and settled. Yeah. And I feel that when I'm able to kind of uh, tap into those neutral-ish thoughts. Yep. Which is good, as opposed to being frantic and high pressure and, or on the other side, shaming the crap out of myself for being terrible. Um, so yeah. if those are the two extremes, being grounded and calm in the middle is just lovely. And that's another thing that I don't know that sixes know about their brains is how extreme we go. It's one or the other. And again, that's because both of those extremes are automatic. It's easy for the brain to conjure all or nothing. And it's work to actually slow down and think about how we're thinking and notice that there's a whole world in between black and white that actually has us whew, landed and grounded. And, and then we get like, oh, choice and flexibility. Those things we were talking about earlier, which my whole deal is accessing choice. Like the whole thing. We are either locked into our patterns or we're looking at, relating to, managing our patterns and accessing choice for our lives in all the areas that we life in. So we've talked a lot about living up in the head and how we manage that. And there's a whole host of tools (laughs) (laughs) that are really cognitive, that are super useful. Do you want to talk about the body a little bit? Feelings? Sure. Do you love to? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sixes tend to think their feelings, right? Think about their feelings. Uh, we we gen- tend to not be a fan of feelings. We tend to don't not trust our bodies to process feelings or experience feelings. Um, how's that journey been for you? Well, I started out literally not even knowing that I had a body mm-hmm. that had feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Again, learning that was insane to me. Mm. Um, 
And honestly, kind of resistant to it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Resistant, number one, that it was safe to feel them. Totally. And then the next step was trusting, believing that they're actually useful, that they're for us. Oh, yeah. I think I have a line that I had to use. I still have to use it sometimes <laughs> where I have to say, Kristen says feelings in my body are useful and they can be for me because they don't feel good. They don't feel pleasant or comfortable and kind of feel the opposite of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And my brain very much resisted, you know, considering even that those could be useful and helpful and actually be for me. Um, So it was, it was a battle a little bit, like Mm -hmm. a little bit of a, a, and it was it definitely still? like the work. Oh, I mean, yeah. I still have to think, okay, Kristen says <laughs> this could be useful. Is it possible that this could be useful right now? How can this be useful? Um, sometimes I can get to like, oh, yes, you know, this anger is showing me that this other person crossed the line or mm. um, okay, so whatever. Let's give, some, let's give some practicals. What have you discovered? is useful about having emotion. So actually one really big one that just came up in my head was for a really long time, I thought that my automatic reaction to like almost everything was shame. Yeah. And I have a a very specific like feeling in my body where my hands and my feet get like hot and floaty Um, And then it sometimes moves to my chest and sometimes not. And it's very uncomfortable and very disorienting. And I don't like it. Yep. (laughs) I don't like feeling it. Permission to not like them. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I always associated it with shame, um, which was useful because my inner critic is very shaming. Like it it, it, it allowed me to do a lot of work. Um, And working with you also was able to realize that actually a lot of the times that feeling is anger. Uh, But for whatever reason, it's, I'm not allowed to feel angry. It's not safe to feel angry. I'm going to damage relationships if I'm angry and express that anger. Uh, Like anger is not safe. And Mm -hmm. my body felt like shame was safe. So like a lot of times I will feel angry first and then instantly feel shame, um, which is like the, the transition of the feeling in my body that, kind of happened. It used to happen kind of simultaneously. Now I am able to actually feel angry. Why am I actually angry right now? I'm mad at that person or I'm mad at myself sometimes. Yep. And then separately feel the shame, which, (laughs) you know, so glad that I can feel anger and shame now. It's so (laughs) great. Um, But uh, admittedly, sometimes it is useful to be able to notice when I'm angry at people or myself. I have a whole entire rant in my heart right now that I'm, you know, debating on. I think I'm just going to say a little bit of it because one of the things that really irritates me is a lot of teaching says anger is a secondary emotion, right? There's always something more true under the anger. And particularly women get taught this. And there's so many ways that women get told don't feel angry, that your anger is bad, 
right? That it's dangerous. It's bad. Lots of us have experienced other people having anger that is damaging and bad, right? The behavior that anger causes is often very destructive. We know that's true. But so shame can also be a secondary emotion to anger. I think this is radical. And I think it's so important for people to just explore and check in with because what your body was doing was protecting you, but it was repressing your healthy uh, reactions to things because anger tells us a lot of things that are really important, like our boundaries for one. First and foremost, (laughs) your anger lets you know when a personal boundary has been crossed. We need access to that. It's really important what we do with that, where we go from that. That's a whole bit of work. But when we don't have access to our anger for all the reasons we've been told it's bad, we don't have access to our boundaries. So part of what I hear you saying is, yeah, the process, I still have to feel all this stuff and it sucks, but you have more (laughs) access to what's true for you. Yes. And that shame was serving a purpose, still does, but it was like, oh, keep that scary thing away. And now you're able to kind of just work with them both separately. Yeah, definitely. I think one, what the shame was doing was it was trying to facilitate me just controlling and tentacling all the things. Totally. I, 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 it's not okay for me to feel angry at that other person Yes, because I can't control them and I can't hold a boundary. So (sighs) I'm just going to put it back on myself. It must be my fault. And then I can control it. And then I, whatever doesn't actually work, but that's, that's right. Trying. It's trying. <laughs> it's trying. That And that is so well said how you said that. I really hope people hear that progression you just described because it's really useful. And it shows that even shame, yeah, it is trying to help us function in the world. Um, the other thing, there are a lot of sixes who are wired more like I am where anger is the first and safest emotion. I experience anger as safety because my you know, leaning more counterphobic, my go-to is fight. My system registers threat as something I can fight. And so it's just, I want to make sure I say that because all different sixes are listening. And it's really interesting to get to know what is your relationship with anger? What is your automatic reaction to threat? Because this is what we're all doing as sixes is we're Um, registering threat, whether real or not, all of the time, and then managing our internal automatic response to threat. And so you heard Abby describe hers. Mine is way more that like, I'll just fight. Like, I'll just tear your face off. That's fine. Now, obviously, that is not a functional way (laughs) to be a grown human in the world. And my anger often is secondary to fear. So that's something I've really had to wrestle with is, okay, when is my anger alerting me to a true boundary? Mm. And when is my anger a cover for, I'm scared out of my mind, (laughs) but I can't show that, or I need to prove I'm not. So I get all this weird counterphobic behavior that um, looks very different from what you experience. And it's very vulnerable to talk about because I want to be so strong. And the truth is, well, I'm strong, but there's a little tender, <laughs> scared person in there. Both both and, maybe. Both and, for sure. But it can look super different. 
And this is one of the, you know, really fascinating things about sixes specifically is we can look so different, but we're managing the same relationship with fear. Okay, Abby, let's talk about one of your favorite tools, doing things for reasons that you like, as opposed to, we could say, doing things because of all the shoulds. Would that be the alternate sort of automatic thing that we do? Yep. Okay. So talk to me about doing things for reasons you like. I always say we can do anything we want for reasons that we like. So the example that comes up for me for this is cooking food for my family. Mm. I have a lot of judgment about myself about this topic, but I think this will be a good example. So I feel like I should be providing perfectly healthy, delicious meals for my children and husband and myself. And I should enjoy it. Oh, yep. (laughs) And not only do it, like it. (laughs) And simultaneously, I'm very resistant to the idea that women should be preparing meals for their family, like gender roles. I'm very resistant to that whole thing. So that just makes me want to that just makes me angry in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all the shoulds. Yeah. So then if I'm preparing dinner for my kids, family, from those, like from those reasons, I get real snappy. I kick everybody out of the kitchen. Everybody is annoying me. I'm irritated and it's very unpleasant. Um, and if anyone has opinions about that meal, then that are not 100% positive, it's a really big problem. <laughs> it's a really big problem. Right, Cause I didn't even want to did. do it in the first place. Yes. You did what you were supposed to do. Yes. Even though you didn't want to. Yes. The least they could do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you could put shut that up and eat so it. So many <laughs> things that we do as sixes, right? If you knew how hard this was for me, you need to, then you need to, Accept this thing I've done because we've totally yeah. kind of gone against ourselves. Yes. Unknowingly. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. So when I force myself to do it under those reasons, doesn't really go well. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, just to add, like sometimes I don't do it. Like I don't prepare the food and we go get we go get takeout or yeah, like go scrounge in the pantry for something. Because I cannot force myself to do it from those reasons. Okay. And I actually do want to eat home-cooked, healthy-ish food. And I want my children to eat that. It is important to me. It is a value of mine that we get nutrition into our bodies. And so something has to happen in order for that to happen. (laughs) And so when I am able to tap into, okay, what I actually want is healthy food to be, and healthy is like kind of a tricky word, right? But like, it's totally tricky, but I hear you. When I, when I want there to be certain nutrients getting into my children (laughs) and I want it to taste good for us because I want to enjoy my food Mm. and I can do, make it easy. Like I can get some of these prepared meals, or I can ask my family to help, or I can like, I'm allowed to do things to make it easier on me. <sighs> um, it just is a very, it's coming at it from a very different perspective. It's not forcing and battling and like gritting my teeth and doing it. It's like, okay, how can I do this in a way that gets what I want? Cause it is actually a value of mine. 
And I don't have to like go through all this mental gymnastics to get myself to do it. It's something I actually can, can like let it be easier and do it. If that makes sense. Okay. A couple things. One, that's just a glimpse of what it would be like to actually work with Abby around food specifically. Like just a very, what I heard there was so much non-shaming, right? I heard you like removing shame from yourself as you describe this process. The thing still happened in this case, right? And this is what is so cool to know. The thing can happen. Our thoughts and feelings preceding the thing, we actually have some choice over and it can drastically alter our experience in doing the thing. So it really matters. Can I but say the a thing, thing is there? still happening? Either, yeah, go ahead. Of course. You know, sometimes the thing happens either way mm-hmm. and it's just how you feel and how terrible it feels while you're doing it. Yeah. Also, I think sometimes the thing doesn't happen yes. unless it's reasons that I like. Yeah. <laughs> Which my brain thinks I have to should and force myself to do the things in order to get me to do the thing. Right. Whereas, but it actually doesn't happen sometimes if I'm doing it from those perspectives. Especially if it's for us. Because sometimes the shoulds will get the things done for the family or for other people. But for sure, if it's for us, the shoulds, they don't work. We don't get long-term positive change through shooting ourselves. We just don't call it a fact. (laughs) Stamp that. Stamp it. Yeah. We just don't. So how do we actually create change for ourselves? What I heard you say, conveniently, also what I teach, is you oriented to your values over orienting to your should. And your brain isn't necessarily going to offer you up your values. Again, to the like, where do we actually have some control? Your brain's going to automatically offer you the generations deep, decades long, whatever informed shoulds over and over and over and over and over. Sixes, we're a super ego type. We are oriented to like, what should I do? What do I need to do to be safe? Blah, 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 blah. It's going to offer that automatically. What you have access to also though, is your values. And to get back to the feelings piece, our values are in our bodies right? Not just our boundaries, but our values are there too. We don't choose them in our brain. We actually orient them in our bodies. So another good reason for those of you resistant to (laughs) feelings work, it's like, that's where I find what's really important to me, separate from all the shoulds and duty and whatever else. And if I can orient my brain to that, I just, again, get access to choosing how and why I want to do things. So useful for, yes, other people, but really ourselves, right? To tie it back to something that we were talking about earlier, before I had any concept that my body could clue me in to what my values and boundaries are or what I actually wanted, all I had was the shoulds from all of the other people. Yes. So for a very long time, I really only operated from shoulds. Because I hadn't... No that's, concept of what it was that I wanted or... Because that's the other thing that's in your body, what you want, your desire, yeah. okay? There's also a whole lot of work around, wait, I get to want things? I get to I get to desire things? Like permission to do that? There's a, there's a separate piece of work. But yeah, guess where we find that information? In our bodies, not our heads. Because our head can be like, well, do I want that? Is that me? Do I want da-da-da-da? And that's, again, the 60 mechanism of actually doubt what comes from my body 
So we've got some good reasons here to consider looking at our emotions, right? We get access to our wants, our desires, our boundaries, our values. There's a lot that we don't let ourselves get access to when we kind of just continue to let ourselves live up in our brains where all the shoulds. And again, very good reasons, very good reasons for this. Our system thinks that's where safety lives is in the shoulds. So we're not throwing shade on ourselves here. We're just cracking open the personality structure and actual tools to start to do things a little bit differently. And hopefully like, I don't know, I think it's fascinating to think of exploring ourselves in new ways. And I also do want to highlight, I get that it can be really scary too. When we think about our own desires, boundaries, values, I mean, you said it earlier, describing something, that means we kind of have to interact with the world in a whole new way to let those live out in the world. So that's really scary. Well, you scary. get to. You, you can choose whether you want to or not. It's all about choice, right? Like, so, you know, working with you, I think I'm feeling a lot more uncomfortable emotions Mm -hmm. that I, you know, would rather probably not feel sometimes. Yeah. But the, like what you, what I get from that. Right. Is so much more that it's worth going through like the muck a bit, Mm -hmm. um, to, to get to that. Um, cause then, you know. I can show up and in how I want to show up and it's very different in in a lovely way. Yeah. I mean, you've made some really big life choices with (laughs) these skills on board. Big time. Like pharmacist turned health coach is not a small thing. No, (laughs) no. Lots of contacting desire, fear, other people's brains, like all of it. That one is, was a big one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. So good job. Pat yourself on the back there. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Okay. I think we've covered a whole lot of really great practical things. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do? So I am on Instagram uh, at Abby Lindy. And then I have a free Facebook group called No Willpower, No Problem. So um, good. I know it's one of my favorites Um, and it's free. So um, find me on Facebook or Instagram and and we can chat. That's awesome. And you know, she's a six. So I don't know. That just always is nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. Just like I knew it would be. Okay. Talk soon. so much for listening. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening from. That actually really helps the podcast be more searchable and findable. And while you're there, if you're so inclined, if you could leave a review, I would be so grateful. They're so fun to read. I can't even tell you. It, it just feels really surreal, actually. Also, grab the free confidence course for sixes that I have for you. It'll be linked in the show notes. And that's it for today. I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.